Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Francois Fuchs. He's a professor of epigenetics at uh, ULB. It's a university in Brussels, Belgium. Uh, so we're going to talk about his research. So Francois, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Yes. Hello. Hi. Um, thank you for uh, hosting me. Um, indeed. Um, so just maybe to to present myself a little bit, what what we do. I'm indeed um, you know professor at the University of Brussels in Belgium. I I'm the director of a, a laboratory of cancer epigenetics. That's what we're going to talk about today, of course. And I'm also um, the director of a cancer research center at my uh, university. And I also founded a company that is uh, now dedicated to find new drugs related to a new field um, of epigenetics. And I guess we're going to be uh, talking about this. Please. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from my understanding, people would talk about cancer being... Um either caused by viruses or from mutations actually in the underlying genes. But uh, what, what are you noticing with epigenetic change in cancer? Yes, so in terms of uh, indeed cancer, uh, what we uh, are realizing, if you wish, uh, if cancer should be seen as a book, one volume is well known as to with uh, genetic changes, mutation, uh, chromosomal aberrations. But we do know now that there is another volume as important probably, which has to do with epigenetic changes. And that adds uh, another layer of alterations that you would see in cancer, which has quite some interesting practical aspects in, term of, in terms of diagnosis as well as uh, therapeutics. What have you observed to happen first, uh, underlying genetic change and then epigenetic markings or vice versa? Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, it's not as simple. It depends uh, on the context. It means that in some cancers, you have first uh, a genetic alteration, which is followed by epigenetic alterations. And actually, as uh, we, we all know, actually, cancer is quite a, you know, a progressive disease. So there are many types of alterations, and that can be a mixture of genetic and epigenetic. So what comes first depends on the type of cancer, and sometimes actually more epigenetic alteration that comes first followed by uh, genetic ones. Well, um, but you're not sure which one comes first, you can't tell, or it could be both, or it's back and forth between the two? What's your observation? Okay. Uh, well, again, uh, we, can, we, we can tell indeed. I mean, if we try to understand the mechanism, indeed. So just to give you uh, a bit more concretely what could happen, in cancer, very key uh, genes that are altered are called tumor suppressor genes. You know, there are oncogenes, but also tumor suppressor genes that uh, are supposed to uh, actually uh, prevent, in a way, cancer. But these tumor suppressor genes can be altered either by mutations, and again, so genetic alterations. And again, in some cancers, you have first a genetic alteration, meaning a mutation. In others, it could be epigenetic. And to be specific, it could be, for example, DNA methylation. Uh, methylation of, of uh, DNA, addition of methyl groups to DNA, 
and at two points of genes, they are uh, actually we have two alleles, and you need that the what we call the two hit. It's a two hit hypothesis. In other words, that you need the two alleles to be actually altered, and it could be that one allele is affected by genetic defect, the other one by epigenetic DNA methylation. Both could be by uh, genetic defects, or both by DNA methylation, epigenetic. So you see, there are different type of combinations, if you wish, depending on the type of cancer. Yeah, it is a little complicated. Um, have yes. you or anyone sequenced a tumor longitudinally inside of an animal to look at, you know, what happens? Is it a continuous cycle of genetic change and then epigenetic marks back and forth, or like over time? Have you know, again? Have you or anyone looked to see it? Does it follow a certain pathway? Yes. So there are, for example, there there is a very good case study in um, in mice. There is a model called the um, APC model, and there uh, you have uh, we know actually fairly well the sequence of events to lead to actually colorectal cancer and affecting some very specific pathways. And we do know that there are, I would say, a mixture of uh, mutations of very important genes as well as epigenetic events such as, again, DNA methylation. So yes, there are cases where we, we have deciphered the mechanistic sequence of events that lead to cancer, indeed. Have you seen that certain epigenetic marks are required to then unlock the ability for the underlying genes to mutate or vice versa? Like, what do you think is the interplay between these two types of change? Mm -hmm. Well, Again, um, I, I, so the interplay can be very uh, tight. Let me give you an example. And actually, we contributed to, uh, to that type of uh, study. So to have, uh, actually to lead to epigenetic alterations in some cancer, and here we'll talk specifically in terms of uh, some leukemia, we do know that some key genes, one is called uh, beta, can become DNA methylated. We call here about DNA hypermethylation. Too many methyl groups are had added to this gene Ariarbida in leukemia. And what we were trying to understand is how do you get this hypermethylation? What is the mechanism by which you have now this too many addition of methyl groups? And what we and others found, and that has been shown in other types of cancers, other genes can be generalized, is that you actually have some first genetic events um, actually in some of these leukemia you have uh, some oncoproteins. So that means that you have fusion of uh, two genes that will lead to some uh, aberrant proteins. We call it an oncoprotein. And this oncoprotein, which is called PMLRAR, will actually attract the machinery that leads to DNA methylation. So you see a genetic defect in leukemia will mechanistically, if you wish, guide aberrantly the enzymes that will methylate a specific uh, gene and lead to leukemia. So again, in your question of uh, how are these connected, the sequence of event, in that case, we have a first genetic event and then an epigenetic event, and they are very tightly connected. Do you observe the addition only of marks or do you observe uh, the removal of marks as well? Very important point. As you know, when we talk about epigenetic, we talk about dynamicity, dynamic modifications. And for sure, you have the, the addition of marks, but also the removal. And just to be again specific, 
um, we were talking, uh, I was talking about methylation of DNA, DNA methylation, but as we know, we can modify also another substrate, proteins and histones. Just to recap, histones are the most abundant basic proteins and conserved during evolution, and they can be modified, can chemically modified. A well-known modification is acetylation, and which can be added, but also removed by a class of enzymes called HDACs. And these HDAC enzymes uh, are well known to be disturbed in cancer and actually uh, very interesting in terms of diagnosis and in terms of therapeutics. So yes, erasing the mark is very important in cancer. Well, is the erasure only happening from histone deacetylation or is it also happening from removal of uh, methylation? Or reduction in it. So in terms of methylation, I was talking about the methylation of DNA, and indeed you can remove such methylation, demethylation for sure. The mechanism is actually quite complex and has been deciphered only in the last years. It involved another actually type of modification. It's called hydroxymethylation. It's a little bit complex, but yes, methylation, demethylation of DNA, but you can also uh, on histones, beside acetylation, deacetylation, you can also methylate histones and demethylate. And there are a number of sites on histones, a number of um, enzymes that can add the mark, the methyl group mark on histones, and a number of enzymes that can remove these marks. And again, these different type of, sometimes we call these enzymes actually the writers, so the enzyme that add the mark, and the erasers, the enzymes that remove them. Yes, you have this on a, uh, in terms of acetylation, but also in terms of methylation of histones. Are there different levels of markings? And if so, what is the purpose? Uh, yeah, so your question, I guess, is are there uh, chemical modifications beside acetylation and methylation? Is this your question? No, like, like why would I want to um, also methylate a histone? I thought that the uh, acetylization and deacetylization opens it up or not. But if I go ahead and methylate a histone as well, what does that do? So it seems like Maybe there's layers of epigenetic marks where I can do a, a two-layer event that really silences a uh, you know or makes inaccessible a part of the genome. Okay, right. So that's a very important question, which has to do with type and the number of um, histone modifications that may exist, and what is the output of such modification. And here, it's uh, actually bringing a very important concept, which has to do uh, with the so-called histone code, and Indeed, there are a number of chemical modifications, acetylation, methylation, phosphorylation, citrinylation, and uh, name it. What we uh, are trying to understand is, on a given gene, what are the different types of modifications that can occur, and what is the meaning of it? And in other words, we do know that there is a certain combination of modifications, and also there is a stepwise mechanism. I can tell you that for example, we do know that on histone at a very specific site, uh, for example, if you have uh, acetylation, it can prevent the nearby methylation of histone. So there are uh, actually crosstalks between these different types of modifications. And all in all, these, the specific pattern, if you wish, of histone modifications will tell whether a gene will be on or off. And um, this is actually a very important issue in terms of what is the impact of these modifications in terms of gene expression? How can I predict based 
on the pattern of modifications that I will see on a given of this modification of histone on a given gene, how can I predict if this gene will be turned on or turned off? And you talked about alleles as well. So do you notice yes. that um, marks are always applied evenly to both alleles or would they be applied sometimes to just one? And if so, what's the consequence of that? Yeah, I mean, that's actually bringing to another concept. Yes, it can happen on a specific uh, allele and also on uh, alleles that come more from uh, maternal origin or paternal origin. Here we are talking about, well, a concept or I would say a subfield in epigenetic, which is called imprinting and which can lead to some uh, diseases where indeed, as I mentioned, uh, it's well known, for example, for DNA methylation that depending on the origin uh, of, uh, of the allele, uh, maternal or paternal, it can be rather uh, methylated, DNA methylated or not. Um, so yes, uh, you have a specification based on alleles as well. So um, do you see certain signatures in the marks for different cancers? Does each cancer tend to have a, um, you know, a certain signature that you can observe or even with, you know, amongst different cancers, things are all over the place. Like, you know, what patterns are you seeing, if any? Yes, indeed. Um, this is also an area of uh, intense research. And the answer again, I mean, I wish uh, it would be simple, but it's, uh, the answer is fairly complex because we do notice that, yes, basically, uh, you do have in some cancers some uh, very specific genes that, are, uh, that show an altered uh, epigenetic uh, pattern. Say, let's talk about DNA methylation. You have, for example, in breast cancer, you have a well-known uh, gene for sure, BRCA1, which can be hypermethylated. And then you will have in other cancers some, say, DNA repair genes. So there are indeed some genes that are more epigenetically altered in some cancers versus others. Uh, but now where it's a little bit more complicated is that you have some genes that are altered in many cancers and other which are more restricted to some of them. And an additional complication is that in cancers, depending on the patient, say in a given cancer, breast cancer, you don't always have the same signature uh, that is present. And it may vary depending on the patient. So you see there is uh, quite a complexity that we are for sure trying to analyze and sequencing these, uh, what we call epigenome, it's very important to identify the specific signature in a given cancer for a given patient. And I guess part of the problem is like when you know I've heard that cancer is very very heterogeneous, especially later mm -hmm. on. So a tumor would would not only have a lot of underlying genetic variation, but it would probably also have a lot of epigenetic variation amongst the different cells that constitute it. Is that right? Yeah. If you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Yes, absolutely. Right. And, and well, when we talk about uh, the, the different type of cells, for example, DNA methylation has quite a specific signature depending on the cell type. So indeed, I would say, you know, if, you, if we talk again about breast cancer, uh, and I, I work a lot on that particular uh, cancer, that's why, you know, when you take a biopsy from a patient, actually you are dealing with an admixture of cells. And if you want to profile, meaning to uh, read all the, alter, all the alterations of DNA methylation, uh, for example, in, in, in a biopsy breast cancer from a patient, the signature that you're going to get will actually come from the mixture of these different cells. So it's quite difficult, actually, to decipher from 
this mixture, what type of pattern do you have from the biopsies? Because it depends really of the cell, uh, cell type that you are dealing with. Well, what if you, you rank the prevalence of certain types of modifications and look at them, you know, again, over time and see the predominant ones, how are they changing? Perhaps that would give you a, uh, you know, some idea on where the tumor is progressing to or how. Yeah, when, when you, you, you talk about the different type of um, modifications, do you want to rank them just to get it right in terms of, say, acetylation of histones, methylation of histone or methylation of DNA? Is this what you are referring to? I guess uh, in terms of number of cells that, that are characterized in that way, number of cells that have this particular, you know, epigenetic setup, the, the predominance of them, the ones that have, you know, the most cells that have this particular set of markings or, or DNA yes. modifications, you know, like yes. a Pareto I mean, of it in terms of prevalence, maybe look at yes, it that you, way. Yes. Okay. But you, you are absolutely right. You can rank the different uh, cells based on for example, their DNA methylation uh, pattern. So it is possible to sort of have, have a uh, profile of some characteristics that are uh, more, I would say, well, that are sort of a signature of, a, of one cell type versus another. So you can rank them uh, based on, on the type of genes that you find modified or not. Yes. But I would like, if you don't mind, to come back uh, because we, we, we're talking about cancer. You mentioned the word um, heterogeneity and complexity. So maybe if you don't mind, I, I think uh, it's important to, to discuss about that aspect in terms of uh, epigenetics. Is, yeah, is that fine ahead. with sure. you? Yes, yeah. definitely. Okay, so, and, and this is quite a lot of the research that I do, by the way, but indeed, um, we realize that we are realizing that cancer is very, uh, it's a complex disease for sure, very heterogeneous. We tend to talk about cancer in general, as a generic term, or sometimes we would talk about, I don't know, colorectal cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer. But even in a given cancer, you have very different type of, well, very different variations of that type of cancer. As we may know, let's talk again, if you don't mind, to uh, exemplify this breast cancer. We do know that, and we knew actually based on gene expression, so back in the days of microarrays, uh, for those of you who know, we were trying to profile gene expression of breast cancer. And uh, doing so, people were able to uh, classify four subgroups uh, of breast cancer. And um, so they are called, these are the so-called expression subtypes. So all to say, we knew based on gene expression that patients afflicted with breast cancer that you could classify them in four subgroups, which have actually very different characteristics. And it's, it's, as you may understand, it's a very important question here, the heterogeneity, because for cancer, say breast cancer, you could almost say that these are several diseases. Because if you have two women in the clinic, they can have very similar, similar clinical features, yet they can evolve very differently in terms of their cancer. One of the patients could evolve pretty well, but another one pretty badly and could develop metastasis. And as you know, metastasis is the highest cause of mortality of cancer. So you would like to uh, have a way to, I, to dissociate or actually to distinguish these two women, for example, uh, that we, we see in the clinic. So that's why subgrouping these cancers is very important. In other words, to understand the heterogeneity, the complexity is very important. How do you classify these mm. cancers? 
expression yeah, yeah. expression uh, give an answer and, and by the way by the way we all know that these days of pathologies what happens a patient comes in the clinic and based on some markers some receptors as you you know you know estrogen receptor for example women don't express always the same level of these uh, receptors and we can actually classify based on what we call an histological grade that the pathologist uh, will identify with some specific markers you know under the microscope we can classify these different cancers but now with the advent you know of gene expression sequencing we could classify as i said for subgroups and the question is can we based on epigenetics provide a more comprehensive picture of the breast cancer biology right do you find additional information on top of what we knew from the pathologist on top of what we knew from gene expression and the answer is it seems that yes this is the case and i can tell you some research that we did and actually others around the world was to profile the uh, epigenome so all the modifications and i would talk here about dna methylation for the simplicity and to see do we um find additional subgroups of breast cancers and the bottom line here is yes we and others could identify not four subgroups but actually six in other words we and others could refine what we would say the tumor taxonomy the classification and this is interesting because as you can understand in terms of the clinical uh, utility epigenetic on top of gene expression on top of pathology could provide an improved classification i'm not saying here that in the clinic we should no longer use histology at the end of the day it's a combination of these different readout that will be very uh, handy for the clinician and thereby for the patient you could do more personalized therapies that way if if they want to yeah exactly and and yeah you name it the whole point as you know these days in terms of cancer um is to personalize uh, oncology to give the proper diagnostic to a given patient and thereby the proper treatment to individualize treatments this is the ultimate goal in what we call personalized medicine and personalized oncology and hopefully with epigenetic we are bringing uh, new tools if you wish a new dimension to provide a better understanding of the complexity of the cancer of the what we talked about the heterogeneity of the cancer this is what we are trying to do with epigenetic and this is proven to be very very useful so if we just look at the six types of breast mm-hmm. cancer what what's different amongst the types what do you notice yeah so what we notice is that they behave differently in terms of their molecular characteristics that means their signature you talked about signature well we can find different sig- gene signature meaning different dna methylated uh, genes depending on these different subgroups so in other words you can identify based on the specific signature of these groups to which group a patient would belong to and we can see that also in terms of the cellular behavior that means some of these subgroups will have characteristics of more proliferation of more well infiltration of you know immune component i don't want to go too much into these details but another very important aspect is that some of these subgroups are more aggressive than others and this is very important because 
you want to relate a subgroup and predict the probability of survival. This is usually what, what we do, you know, when we have a given patient is as, as this patient, if she, we can diagnose that she has a breast cancer, is she of good or poor prognosis? And this is a very important information that we need to provide to the patient. So in, the, in terms of these six subgroups, epigenetic subgroups that we can identify, yes, we can provide this information as to whether this patient is rather, you know, of uh, the probability of poor survival or rather good survival. So you see, clinically, it's very, very important. What appears to govern survival, though, when you look at these six different types? Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have extra eyes. You can see things that other people can't see. So what, what is yeah. governing the uh, survivability, you think? Well, I can tell you, we, we uh, dwelled into it uh, quite a bit. I, I don't want to go into two uh, specific technical terms, but um, it was known that in terms of gene expression, you would capture essentially proliferation. Now, if you profile, if you look at DNA methylation in these patients, one, what I would call a component, a feature that you capture is more uh, what we call immunological component. So it may sound complex, but if we come back to the, what we analyze, we analyze an entire biopsy from the patient, right? And in this biopsy, you have for sure, you know, in breast cancer, epithelial cells, but you have also infiltration of uh, what we call lymphocytes. So you have for sure, you know, surrounding cells, the tumor microenvironment that, and especially immune cells that can infiltrate the tumor. And when we profile DNA methylation, we capture this tumor microenvironment, this infiltration of tumor of immune cells. And this is why we believe that we have different subgroups, a different uh, classification based on DNA methylation, epigenetic than gene expression. What do you mean this infiltration of immune cells? You mean just like there's immune cells literally amongst, I mean, inside the tumor, they're sitting there? Yes, yes, yes. Let's remind us that, you know, when you consider a tumor, you have to consider what we call the tumor microenvironment and it's becoming more Mm. and more important. So that means that, yeah, in terms of, as I was saying, in terms of breast cancer, this biopsy is a mixture of cells. You have the tumor cells, epithelial cells in this case, but you have also uh, a whole, you know, uh, what we call the stromal cells. And this is, uh, these are composed of, uh, you have some uh, fibroblasts, but you have also um, immune cells that, yes, uh, will infiltrate the tumor. So you have to take that into consideration. And this is what we measure when we look at DNA methylation. Oh, I don't know. I mean, in terms of the tumor microenvironment, what does it look like mm-hmm. for, let's say, these different six subtypes of breast cancer? Does it look radically different amongst them? You know, what are the, the hallmarks yes. of each type that you see? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the term hallmark. Absolutely. Uh, yes, we have different type of hallmarks. And to make it uh, short, it's uh, some actually more aggressive cancer have a higher higher number of infiltrated uh, immune cells uh, than the other ones. So we do, we can detect uh, some very specific immune signature that can distinguish the more aggressive breast cancer subgroups from the less aggressive ones. Yes, we we can distinguish them indeed. Well, what's the correlation? What, What makes something aggressive or not? 
Like when, um, you know, okay. when you see something, how do you know that it means that it's aggressive? Well, we, we do know that actually we, we, we look at the, uh, for example, the survival probability, uh, first of all, but we have a number actually of characteristic characteristics to know whether a subgroup is more aggressive than another one. You can look again at uh, proliferation, uh, apoptosis. You know, there are a number of phenotypic characteristics that you can look at and which we know uh, will be associated with a more aggressive uh, phenotype versus another one. So this is well known in terms of actually cancer in general. Um, what about looking at the, uh, yes, the main yes. tumor versus metastases? Are you further, can you further mm. subclassify breast cancer by doing that? Oh, that's okay. That's a whole uh, other level of analysis. Uh, but that's very, I mean, that's a very important topic. Indeed, more and more, I mean, what I've been talking about uh, so far was uh, mostly related uh, to the primary uh, tumor. But as you know, uh, you know, afterwards, there is the whole evolution of, of, of the tumor. And unfortunately, at some stage, disseminate and lead to metastasis. And as we said, this is the, really the, the, the worst cause of, of, of mortality. Um, metastasis in terms of epigenetic is only being starting to be uh, studied. We still don't know that much uh, in that level. But what I can say, and again, I don't want to be too technical here, but in terms of metastasis, it seems that an important biological program is at play, at least in part, and it's called EMT. It's called epithelial mesenchymal transition. Without going in details, it seems that basically to switch from the primary tumors to the metastasis, epigenetics is very important. And at least in part, it's by regulating some key players in terms of this program that I called EMT. So bottom line is epigenetic is essential to go from the primary tumors to metastasis. It's very important indeed. Maybe if you, if you don't mind, because I wouldn't want to leave you without touching another aspect in which I work quite a bit, and, and I would like the audience to be aware of this, if, if you don't mind, um, sure. which has to do with a brand new dimension in, in epigenetic. And uh, it would be nice if the audience would be aware of it to be really up to date with uh, the epigenetic field. I mean, again, if you have other questions uh, with what we talked about, I I'll be happy to, to carry on on this. But maybe there is this topic on which I would like to touch upon, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Okay. So what we have been discussing so far uh, in terms of epigenetics are two well-known pillars, two well-known dimensions of uh, epigenetics. DNA like DNA methylation and histones like acetylation and methylation, well known. But now in the last uh, years, we are realizing that actually there is a third pillar of epigenetics, which has to do with RNA. We call here this field, it's a brand new field in epigenetics, which is called RNA epigenetics, also called epitranscriptomic. So quite a very technical term, but this is very exciting field now because we uh, now see that it's a new level of, uh, of regulating gene expression. It seems to be an additional level to uh, lead to cancer dysregulation. And poten potentially, why not? It could provide some new tools to uh, diagnose and treat cancer. And, and I have to say that I'm doing a lot of research into this. And by the way, as I mentioned, I uh, uh, co-founded a company 
called Epic, Epic Therapeutics, and now there are a few companies around the world, uh, some of them actually based uh, rather on the East Coast in the US, in which uh, we are trying to develop new therapies based on RNA epigenetics. So it's a very exciting brand new field. Mm. Yeah, very, very complicated. Yes. What do you think is going to be possible in the next few years based on the current trajectory of what you're doing? Well, you, you mean in terms of uh, the clinical applications? Yeah, or at least insights into what will probably translate clinically. But yeah, most, most directly, like what people will experience clinically, do you think there'll be any changes in the next few years or you know, all of this is just really early stages? Okay, so it will. I mean, the epigenetic discoveries that we have made and we are making uh, in cancer are clearly changing the way we can diagnose and, and treat uh, cancer. Let me remind that when we talk, for example, uh, about cancer epigenetic therapy, this is already a reality. There are some already approved FDA uh, drugs, um, for example, against DNA methylation and uh, some are called, I mean, it's quite technical terms, but Bidaza, Dacogen, you can actually already treat some patients with these drugs. And in the future, what will change is to uh, find and to use more specific uh, drugs. Because as you may uh, imagine, uh, some of these FDA-approved drugs, um, like for DNA methylation, they have uh, many side effects because at this stage, they are like, inhibiting DNA methylation, but on every given gene, not only very specific, specifically at, uh, say, an hypermethylated gene, I said, like BRCA1, for example, in a breast cancer, but it will remove all the methyl groups from also or the so-called normal gene. So there are side effects. Oh, but yeah, now we should, you see, so, so that's a, a drawback at this stage. And we could call these drugs, we call them epidrugs, for example, of first generation. But now with the new knowledge that we are uh, gaining, we could go into what we call the second generation epidrugs. And actually, there is a lot of work ongoing. Uh, it's not just a fantasy here. There are, uh, as, as uh, we speak, over 30 epidrugs in clinical trials. And actually, many companies, all the big companies, you know, the Novartis, Merck, you know, BMS, GSK, they have a lot of programs there. And the idea is that we have identified uh, most of the modifications and enzymes that are dysregulated in epigenetic enzymes that are dysregulated. And let's remind us the writers and the erasers. Uh, you remember you were talking about the dynamicity yep. and can you affect also the enzyme that remove the mark? Yes. Uh, so you have uh, inhibitors, drugs against the writers and the erasers. But here, the good news uh, is that we, uh, there are now these, uh, some epidrugs that target some very specifically, some, uh, some very specific enzymes. And so you can target much better some very specific genes. And so with less side effects. So there are clinical trials on, ongoing, and some of them are in phase two, in phase uh, three. The feeling is that in the coming years, some of these drugs uh, will be used, I mean, br more broadly into patients and hopefully in many di different types of cancers. So this is a reality, but we are improving it. Uh, and it's a very, very active field in, in cancer. Okay, in very good. clinical implications, yeah. Well, Francois, um, we're just about out of time. What, what's the best way for people to find out more about your research? Oh, uh, you mean by which uh, channel you mean? 
yeah, a website, uh, social media, what's the best way for them to follow you? I'm, I'm not much, I have to say, on Twitter. I know some of my colleagues are quite a lot. They can just maybe go, I have, I have a website. I don't know if you have it. And uh, they can have my contact. And, you know, there I describe what I do and, you know, the type of okay. uh, publication. Yeah, send over the link. That could be one way. We'll edit. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.